X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon, and it's Wednesday, May 5th. Today, back in the day, on May 5th, 1862, the Mexican army triumphed over the French in the Battle of Puebla. The Franco-Mexican War erupted in 1861. The French were aiming to depose Mexico's president and install a regime that was friendly to French interests. Back then, France was a global empire and a major military force to be reckoned with. In Puebla de la Los Angeles, 6,000 well-armed French troops faced off against a ragtag group of just 2,000 Mexican soldiers. But in the end, the Mexican side triumphed, winning a major symbolic victory against the French. Resistance continued, and in 1867, France finally withdrew from Mexico. While Cinco de Mayo is a relatively minor holiday in Mexico, in the U.S., Cinco de Mayo has become a celebration of Mexican culture and heritage. And today, back in the day on May 5, 1920, Italian-American anarchists Nicole Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti were charged with murder. Their murder trial and later executions were highly controversial. As radical working men living during the height of the Red Scare, Sacco and Vanzetti were on trial for their beliefs as much as they were for their accused crimes. At the time, the FBI and DOJ carried out a brutal campaign against radicals, including deportations, unlawful arrests, beatings, and even murders. Sacco and Vanzetti were anarchists. That meant that they believed in the destruction of national borders and and the war, poverty, and political inequalities that came with them. There were also Italian immigrants living in America during a period of intense xenophobia. The two men were charged with the murder and robbery of a paymaster at a shoe factory in Massachusetts. There was weak and conflicting evidence against Sacco and Vanzetti, but they were still convicted of murder on July 21, 1921. There were worldwide protests in support of Sacco and Vanzetti, including two in New York and Philadelphia that ended in bombings. In 1925, a member of the Joe Morelli gang confessed to the crime, but the case was never reopened. Sacco and Vanzetti maintained their innocence until they were executed in 1927. Today, We'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Portland student pandemic response. X-ray. And first up, it's time for today's quick six local rundown. Governor Kate Brown announced yesterday that 15 counties will be dropping back down to high risk on Friday. Multnomah and Clackamas counties are among those getting downgraded from extreme risk. The rest of the counties affected are Baker, Columbia, Crook, Deschutes, Grant, Jackson, Josephine, Klamath, Lane, Lynn, Marion, Polk, and Wasco. Governor Brown is keeping her word that if certain preset metrics were not met, the restrictions would be removed. In this case, 0.1% makes a difference. According to the governor's office, the seven-day average of hospitalized patients grew by only 14.9%, not the requisite 15 That means that if only two more people had been hospitalized, it would have passed the limit. One of the thresholds was broken, however, 
There are 345 people with COVID occupying hospital beds, surpassing the 300-person limit Brown had set. Under the new restrictions, restaurants will be able to open indoor dining at 25% capacity starting on Friday. Due to the vaccination rollout, the governor said she doesn't expect any counties to be designated extreme risk again. In a statement yesterday, Governor Brown added, quote, Based on today's numbers and keeping my commitment to Oregonians, I know this will bring relief to many across the state. And it's time for your daily dose of data. The Oregon Health Authority reported 748 new coronavirus cases yesterday. That brings the total case count to 187,625. They also reported six new deaths. The total death toll is now 2,508. Oregon has now administered over 3 million vaccine doses. That's 82% of the total doses the state has received. Oregon will indefinitely extend mask and distancing rules in the workplace. The rules designed to protect workers were adopted in November and set to expire yesterday. The Oregon Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, held a two-month public comment period and made several changes and adjustments based on the input. They received a record number of comments and a petition signed by 60,000 people opposing the extension. Employers must ensure their workers wear masks and maintain physical distance, among other requirements, including providing workers with information and training regarding COVID, conducting a COVID exposure risk assessment, and optimizing their existing ventilation systems. OSHA says the rule will remain in fact until it is no longer necessary. A group of businesses has filed a federal lawsuit against Governor Kate Brown over her COVID restrictions. Governor Brown extended the state of emergency last week by 60 days. Critics like Sandy Mayor Stan Pulliam claim the extension is, quote, shrouded in opaque rationale, undisclosed science, and arbitrary metrics. Pulliam announced the coalition of businesses were planning to sue Brown over the weekend. The political action committees, Oregon Moms Union, and Heart of Main Street, Main Street are part of the group, as is the owner of Spud Monkeys, a Gresham restaurant that has been cited for numerous COVID violations. The group objects to the, quote, unfair restrictions that Brown placed on schools and businesses. The lawsuit also claims that by not differentiating between vaccinated and unvaccinated people, her order was, quote, subjecting all to the same regulations and deprivations of liberty. No word yet on how Governor Brown's announcement yesterday of easing restrictions will affect the suit. The Oregon legislature has made it easier to create homeless shelters across the state. House Bill 2006 passed in the Oregon Senate by a vote of 26 to 1 on Monday. The bill will remove many of the obstacles in place for building and establishing shelters. It will allow for temporary, temporarily adjusting land use laws and waiving some design, planning, and zoning regulations. As long as they meet certain criteria like offering access to transportation, complying with building codes, and posing no health or safety threat, then they're good to go. House Bill 2006 also makes it easier for cities to approve parking lots where people can sleep in their cars as a form of transitional housing. 
Grant funding opportunities for organizations that want to create shelters are part of the bill, too. The last step of the process is Governor Kate Brown's signature. The bill will take effect once she signs and will be valid until July of 2022. Any shelters built before then will be allowed to remain open after. This will hopefully alleviate some of the pressure on the more than 10,000 people that sleep outside in Oregon on any given night. The faculty at the Oregon Institute of Technology ended its strike yesterday. The work stoppage was heading into its ninth day when the union, the American Association of University Professors, announced a tentative agreement was reached with the school administration. This is the first contract the union has reached at OIT. The negotiations have gone on for a year and a half. The tentative deal includes a guaranteed 11.5% salary increase over the span of the five-year contract. It also adds an additional potential 3.5% increase with merit raises. According to the AAUP, the new deal will also address inequities in compensation, clearly define reasonable workloads, and secure health and retirement benefits. The agreement will probably get ratified sometime over the next month. Once in place, the deal goes through June 2025. The faculty should be back at work today. And finally, some good news. The Portland Timbers take on Club America tonight in the CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinals. After managing a one-to-one draw at Providence Park last week in the first leg, the teams head to Mexico City for the second leg. The match will be held at the legendary Estadio Azteca, the home stadium for both Club America and the Mexican national team. There will be no fans in attendance, which definitely benefits Portland on the road. The Timbers are coming off a 4-1 drubbing against FC Dallas over the weekend, in which they rested several key players in preparation for tonight's game. To advance, Portland needs to win outright or score multiple goals in a draw. The aggregate score of both legs will determine the winner. But in the case of a tie, the team with more away goals moves on. If the away goals are equal, a penalty kick shootout after the second leg will decide the series. Whew, that'll be rough. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Kickoff is at 7.15 tonight. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Next up, we have an interview with Rye and Cassie from the Portland Student Pandemic Response. In April 2020, a group of students from St. Mary's High School created a website to catalog service opportunities for students who suddenly found themselves with a lot of extra time on their hands. In just a year, that project has blossomed into a nonprofit, Portland Student Pandemic Response. Now, a year into the project, we're speaking with Rai Sholin and Cassie Bonanno, two students leading the charge in the group. We'll talk about how the group began, how it's going now, and what the future holds for the Portland Student Pandemic Response. Rye, Cassie, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Morning. Good morning. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Portland Student Pandemic Response? Yeah. So um, just about a year ago, um, we started as a way to connect students who are isolated at home to the Portland community who is in need of extra help during the pandemic. 
over the last year, we've created summer programs, after school programs, as well as online tools and resources to help students make an impact. Um, our latest project is centered around getting Oregon vaccinated. So that we're doing that in two parts. We've got a vaccine finder text line that mm -hmm. helps people find vaccines near them and a vaccine ambassadors program, which helps students learn how to help others get vaccinated. So currently folks focusing on, on vaccination, uh, what, what are some of the kind of overarching goals and values uh, behind the, the program? Well, our program is completely student-led, student-built, and student-driven. Um, every single project and whatever, it, every single project resource program is built entirely by students. And they are the ones who are taking the charge in what we do and how we do it. We want to provide a place for students to exercise their activism ideas and turn them into real impact. Hmm. So what, I mean, uh, I've worked in uh, with the outdoor school program, which recruits high school students as volunteers. And notoriously, high school students, particularly when they enter their junior and senior year, are extremely busy with all kinds of extracurricular activities and the demands of school. Um, and with virtual school, uh, happening over the last year. Perhaps some of that has changed, but what's your experience been building an organization um, that's based on uh, busy people offering their time? The fun thing about the pandemic is that um, earlier, a lot of the activities, after school activities, clubs, sports and stuff had all been canceled, which left a lot of students, especially my friends, with like this bubble of time that they had no idea what to do with. <laughs> and they were sitting there with all of their brain power and their like creativity. And so we want to give them a place to direct it into helping and helping the problem that they could see in front of them that was affecting their everyday lives. And that theme has kind of continued through the year and is still completely prevalent to what we're doing now. And so we've, as students' workload has picked up over the year, we've uh, adjusted our programs and what we're doing to fit around a typical student's schedule, allowing for like, many opportunities through the week for our student leaders to get involved and do work while still completely putting their energy and brain into school and everything else they do. So what did that take to build an organization from the ground up, a, a, a basically doing new things in a whole new way um, uh, from scratch? Um, a whole lot of excited people <laughs> from all over Portland. Um, we kind of just stumbled through it ourselves and we, we did every step of our growth and our incorporation and everything else by ourselves um, through extensive research and planning and group work. What What has your experience been when you offer your assistance um, as, a, as an entirely student-run organization? You usually get a lot of excitement um, because of our unique situation. Mm -hmm. And people are usually pretty well receptive to help. That's great. How far-reaching has, has your... Uh, 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 experience been? Well, we've gotten over 100 students involved from 12 different schools around the area, 
And we've helped communities directly ourselves, as well as reached out to other organizations who are more involved in directly helping them through mainly our summer programs and our after school program, our student impact projects. Hmm. And, and your planning projects for this summer, what's, what's going to go on this summer? Yeah. So we're doing a second year of our summer action team summer program, um, which has been expanded from four times the capacity it was last year. Uh, we're going to do two rounds, a two, two and a half week rounds of this program where students can come and build um, service projects virtually with a group of students from all over Portland to help specific communities who have been affected by the pandemic or have experienced some sort of issue over the last year. Hmm. So uh, as a, as an organization, how have you uh, directed yourselves? How, how have you made the, the big decisions for the group? We haven't. We've listened to the input of the Portland community, hmm. especially those who are having the problems. And we have tailored our projects specifically to help them. Um, a lot of our students come from those communities themselves um, and have led the charge. For example, um, over the summer, we had a girl who had lupus and she was experiencing a shortage in her critical medication when it became advertised as a cure for COVID. Um, and so she came to our summer program and developed a series of articles and illustrated them to educate everybody on what was happening and why it mattered. And then we worked to help her publicize that and get it out there. How, how has the, the direction of, of the ways that you've offered service uh, differed from the expectations you had going into this? Well, it was, we originally started as a website hosting a catalog of service opportunities um, for other organizations, kind of like a resource hub. Okay. And we got so much interaction from that. We got students reaching out to do deeper work. We were involved in local, student, local school curriculums. And we ended up finding that we had this group of students who were following us who wanted to get more directly involved. Mm -hmm. And because I know how impactful and powerful their voices and their ideas can be, um, we started to create our programs. And then out of that, we just kind of ended up in a situation where we looked a lot more like a nonprofit than a website. And hmm. we continued on that path. That's great. Uh, this is Andy Lindbergh. I'm speaking with uh, Rai Sholin and uh, Cassie Bonanno from Portland Student Pandemic Response. Uh, what have been some of the biggest challenges facing students this past year? I think it depends on who that student is. Um, like I mentioned before, a lot of the students who come to us with project ideas or with ideas for change come from communities who have been specifically impacted by the pandemic themselves. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of followed their direction, which gives us kind of the power that we have of being very fluid in what we can do and what issues we can address. Um, our overall goal is mostly centered around uh, pandemic related issues. However, when the pandemic ends, we hope to transition out of a strictly pandemic based goal and into a broader activism sitch. Mm. So, so thinking about that, that, uh, 
the lens that you've been able to look at your community through um, and kind of based on your work, what do you what do you experience as Portland's biggest needs right now? Well, I think that ties right, right now that ties back to our latest project, which is uh, helping to get Oregon vaccinated through our text line and through our vaccine ambassadors program. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious about, uh, you know, as, as the, the state transitions out of quarantine, let's, let's hope that, that your, your work and the work of others is, is successful. Um, you know, we were just, uh, hearing a, a, a piece about that there are counties that are moving in the wrong direction uh, currently, uh, despite the fact that, that uh, the vaccines are available. Um, so as, as we make that transition out of quarantine, how does the Portland student uh, pandemic response uh, adjust to, the, uh, a, to having a different focus? We've got a team kind of working on that right now. Um, hmm. But we hope to keep the same student-driven model where and accessible model where um, we, we really like the online like interface of our organization because it allows for students all over the area to all collaborate at once without having to go out of their way, um, which is something that is, works really well for us and allows us to share our perspectives easily and in accordance with a busy student schedule. Nice. What what are the what do you see as the the barriers for students participating in uh, a volunteer uh, community based organization like yours? What 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 would keep what have you seen that keeps people from participating or being available or or connecting uh, with the Portland student pandemic response? Um. Other than a busy schedule, um, I don't, I'm not quite sure. Um, I do know that a lot of students have to work sure. to help support their families. They might do extensive extracurriculars and things. And work like ours might take the place of something like that. However, I do firmly believe that what we do holds a lot of value and can be very, very helpful to students to both work in and work for. That's great. Um, when when you have been out in the community um have you had uh experiences that you feel you wouldn't have had uh in your your regular coursework or or i guess i i can assume that that because you're out uh offering service to the community you're 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 doing things that you wouldn't do if you were in regular class um, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the ways that, uh, for either of you, this has uh, changed your perspective on your community. All right. So experience can be as great a teacher as a lesson and reading about something. And last summer, our summer action team had the opportunity to distribute pamphlets surrounding where to find resources to help combat food insecurity in local Portland parks. Mm hmm. And that is such a powerful experience and getting to see people and meet people face to face and help them with an issue that's incredibly drastic. And just meeting people from all over the Portland area, students who come to us who want to help, who want to do something because teenagers are incredibly powerful. 
Yeah, it's 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 impressive to to listen to the the two of you talk about the the way that you are listening to each other in terms of of setting your priorities, um, and then also listening to to the community. Are there issues that uh, you have learned about in particular that have changed your your view of your community? The number one thing I've taken away from it and just listening to peers who come to Portland Student Pandemic Response at our weekly meetings is everybody has such a wide variety of experiences. I come away learning something from a different perspective than my own every single week. And that's incredible. That's great. So that, that's Cassie. Rye, what's, what's been your experience as far as, as uh, how your, your perspective on the community has, has grown? Well, our original goal is centered solely around the pandemic itself. Mm -hmm. And I myself knew a lot less about the effects of the pandemic than I thought I did. <laughs> As we got more students involved throughout the year, I began to see the minute and specific effects on certain communities and certain types of people um, that I had never even imagined existed because they were outside of my own perspective. But um, we, since we were able to get so many students involved from all over, they were able to share their perspectives with the broader group and thus widening the perspectives of everybody else and getting them in the loop and what's actually going on. That's great. So I'm, I'm also, uh, not only am I grateful that, that you're out doing this work in, in the community that I'm a part of, but I'm, I'm fascinated and, and impressed with any group of people who can recognize a need and go and do something about it. Can you talk a little bit about the, the, the beginnings of Portland student pandemic response? How do you, how do you move from being, as you, as you said, uh, uh, a resource through the website that you built to actually stepping out into your community and, and moving into to action? Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, well, it's mostly because we were asked to, and we were asked to by um, students who were sort of who had found interest and value in our initial website, mm -hmm. um, and we wanted to create a place for them to be able to like put their ideas into reality and make an impact with them. That's how our summer program came up, mm -hmm. and then after our summer program, where we had forty plus students involved every day for two and a half weeks um we they still wanted to come back they still wanted to do more with us and so we continued to set up ways for them to do just that that's impressive so again i'm 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 speaking with uh uh rye sholan and cassie uh bonanno from portland student pandemic response um we've uh we've got a another question and that's um <clears throat> Uh, what happens when you, the students who are participating, uh, graduate from high school? Um, how how do members of the group uh, uh, plan to to use this experience, or or how do you transition into a, a new group of of local student leaders for Portland Student Pandemic Response? And that's in from a text from one of our listeners. Uh, so, all right, so we've got a <laughs> big group of students in there right now, and their ages range from 
18 to 14. Okay. And so we, we don't just have a bunch of high school seniors sitting in a room. We're all going to leave and it's going to be done. <laughs> we've got people from all four grades of high school and in our other programs, we've gotten everybody from 19 year olds to 12 year olds involved. And so we've got a pretty steady platform that we're going to be transitioning and handing over to the younger students entirely, which in turn, they will hand over to even younger students when they transition out of high school. That's great. You know, that's, uh, you know, one of the things that that uh, I've uh, been reading about is people who have been involved over the last um two to four years in various community movements in protest movements about how they they sustain that uh their participation and and leadership and and um it sounds like uh the the way that you've been able to to layer things and and with such a a a range of 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 people participating um that's impressive uh, so how can listeners support you or get involved themselves in, in uh, Portland student pandemic response? We have our second round of summer action team projects coming up. If they have students or no students who would be interested in joining us and providing their services of hours just to help us, um, tell, tell your kids, tell your friends' kids, tell people you know. Are, are there uh, students from uh, uh, particular parts of the city that you're, you're feeling are, are underrepresented in, in the group that, that you'd like to encourage to uh, uh, participate? We have students from all over the city. I think we're fairly well represented, um, but we just want anybody who's interested. That's great. So do you have any uh, upcoming events that you, that you want to plug? Uh, I believe just our second round of summer action team and Rye, when does that start? That should start in late June. Um, however, applications will be available in late May. Excellent. So how do folks find you on the web? Uh, we're at pspandemicresponse.com and on Instagram by the same pspandemicresponse as well as YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. All right. Thank you so much uh, for your time today, and thank you for your uh, commitment and the time that you've been giving to our community. Uh, we've been speaking with uh, Rai Sholin and Cassie Bonanno from Portland Student Pandemic Response. Thanks again to the both of you. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Thanks to Rai and Cassie for joining the local And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown in just about 30 minutes. And we also want to extend our thank you to the many who gave a donation during our spring fun drive over the last couple of weeks. This community keeps us going in so many ways. Thank you. We'll talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.